Farming Programme with Araquit Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate, Grantham. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts. We've had the NFU annual conference this week, along with a big government funding announcement. Many people over the last week have seen empty shelves, salad. We've got to keep production levels up so that we don't face the rationing that we did with eggs pre-Christmas. We'll hear the thoughts of NFU President Minette Batters. And what's this? A tractor, but no red diesel in sight. That and more new tech and ideas from the recent low-carbon ag show, learning workshops, virtual farm visits and our regular agronomy advice, crop and market reports and prices and the weather for the week to come. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, hope it's been a good week for you. It's certainly been a busy week for the NFU Top Brass with the annual conference in Birmingham, which coincided with the Minister for Farming announcing that £160 million pounds will be made available in grants with the aim of boosting food production, paying for equipment and automation and funding smaller abattoirs. The NFU president said it's an important step, but the clock is ticking for the government to protect homegrown food supply. Minette Batters said farmers were still being hit by labour shortages, high costs, the impacts of climate change and global political turmoil. You know, the stakes are very high and, and this actually isn't just about farmers this is about consumers this is about affordability of food and giving farms and growers the confidence to invest so that we don't contract many people over the last week will have seen empty shelves salad we've got to keep production levels up so that we don't face the rationing that we did with eggs pre-christmas she went on to talk about the current energy price crisis in farming food production is in many cases very energy hungry so crops that are grown under cover in glass houses that's things like tomatoes peppers cucumbers they have to be kept warm all year round so gas price has a big role to play. Now, it's still three times higher than it was back in 2019. So we want retailers to allow growers to renegotiate contracts, everybody to share the pain on this journey. We want government to recognise, which it has done with the Royal Botanical Gardens, as important as they are, they have got access to the scheme. No glass house producing tomatoes, peppers or food for the nation has been able to access that scheme. So I've written to the Chancellor, made the case that we must keep production levels up. This is a global challenge. We're facing shortages across all the places that produce a lot of the food that we import. We've got to be producing more here. We've got a temperate climate. We can get through these bumps in the road but we need everybody to be working with us. You can hear Minette's speech in full, as well as much more from the NFU conference at nfuonline.com, and we'll have more detail on where that £168 million will be going next week. Some more numbers for you now. The next time someone complains about the price of food... Data published a few days ago by the Central Statistics Office showed that last year's agricultural input cost increased 35.1%, whereas output prices only increased 26.7%. Where's the other 8.4% gone? But there's better news for food exports. The value of exports in a number of UK-grown food and drink products has rocketed by nearly 30%, reaching a new high of £4.5 billion in 2022. For the NFU conference, the Food and Drink Federation compiled the latest export figures released by HM Customs and Excise. There's been strong growth in dairy exports, up 36%, in beef up 45% and vegetables up 42%. And this growth has coincided with an increase in the volume of sales in most categories over the last 12 months. 
Mention for a couple of educational opportunities now. Firstly, from the Lincolnshire Agricultural Society, whose impact group has a couple of workshops next week. Education coordinator Josie Jameson. The first is on the 28th of February, where we are looking at a very topical uh, subject, inflation in farming. And we have uh, Mark Chatterton, Director and Head of Agriculture at Duncan and Topless, speaking on that morning, followed by talking about succession in farming, which again is a hot topic. Um, And that's on the same morning. Then on the 15th of March, we have a third workshop, Wellbeing in Agriculture, again another focus at the moment, and that's with Jilly Steele from LRSN. And just a note on all three workshops on both dates, we will have a free health check offered by the LRSN nurses, and that's a drop-in. They must register to attend the workshops. Um, Again, that's through myself to reserve their space. But once they're here, the workshops are free. Thanks, Josie. There's all you need to know about the workshops and indeed the Impact Group itself on the Lincolnshire Agricultural Society Impact Group's Facebook page. And Leaf are organising some virtual farm visits for business students. Joe Hatton, education consultant for Leaf, is this a virtual visit to a farm or a visit to a virtual farm? The idea is that the students, the business study students, visit a um, a working farm. But it, the farm that we use is, is a wonderful example of diversification. Will at Manor Farm, he has diversified into an unusual way, which is that he has one of the first examples, really, of uh, glamping. He's a bit of a go-getter. He has lots of different operations going on on the farm. So the children can really see the farming side of it. He has sheep and he has cattle and he has lots of arable crops as well. But also how a farmer has to be looking for opportunities and really making the most of the land that they've got to enable them to make an income, really. Um, Will is great on camera. He's really good at answering questions. And we ran several of these virtual visits last year and they were so popular that uh, he very kindly said that he would do another day for me this year. I've been completely oversubscribed um, and I'm desperately trying to find another farmer that will do a day for me because I just had so much interest, which is just fantastic. Is this aimed, therefore, at business students rather than agricultural students? Absolutely. Is this something that's just in the southeast or is it done elsewhere in the country? So my colleagues in other parts of the country have different specialisms to me, so they do things that I don't do. So we have schools from across the country that get involved. Last year, we had a school from South Africa that joined us. So that's what's so lovely in a way is that we can work with so many different schools and and all sorts of locations. If somebody is interested, either as a farmer or as a school, where would they go for more information, Jo? As I said, we've had loads of demand. So if another farmer would like to get involved and, and host a virtual farm visit, that would be amazing. The links and my email address are available on the LEAF website. So look under the education tab. And of course, if there's farmers that are interested in working virtually, but not necessarily with a focus on business studies, then the Farmer Time programme is still running and is still very successful. Thanks to LEAF education consultant Joe Hatton. That website address is leaf.eco. Time for a look at the crops now with our crop doctor, Sean Sparling. Morning, Sean. Yes, morning, Steve. Short and sweet, really, this week. Not an awful lot to report. Nothing really exciting happened in the last seven days out there. Or has it? I took a torrential 0.8 of a millimetre of rain on Wednesday at home. About four and a half to five mil around Lincoln Heath, I think, in general. Not an awful lot, but enough to wash in any nitrogen that's been applied, which is a great thing. Any urea that's been applied, again, a great thing. 
and also to dampen these soil surfaces down to help seal in any applied preem herbicides, which have been going on on spring barley, which are being drilled like bilio, spring wheat going in, some late winter wheat going in in a field or two as well after sugar beets and spring beans going in, and they continue to go in by the day. But I suppose we should start there really with the weather because that makes for me just 33 millimetres of rain since 2023 began, and it's March in three days' time. I know we came off the back of almost an inch of rain a week, wasn't it, from the 20th of October to the 31st of December, so just over 236 millimetres of rain for me in that 10-week period at the end of 2022. So we did start off 2023 wet, but even so, that's the driest start to any year that I've recorded in over 25 years. 2019 started off with 37.2 mil in that same period. Now, it has allowed us, of course, to get most of the spring barley in the ground on farms we wouldn't normally start drilling until March. But, you know, the spring wheats are closely following that spring barley. Spring beans going in as well, where conditions allow and more and more every day. And just going back to spring barley, as you know, you can't maul spring barley in. So there are still a few heavier bits of land to drill with spring barley. But it is still only February. Peas too. I think it's a little bit too cold for peas, but some people have already got combining peas in the ground and I'm sure vining peas drilling will start this week. Soil temperatures did lurch nicely up into the mid-7s, 7.6 on Tuesday afternoon in that 15 degree heat on Lincoln Heath and with no night frost we're seeing overnight lows of 6 or 7, daytime highs in the low to mid-teens throughout the early part of this week although we are of course now back to more normal temperatures. Now things are starting to cool down, inevitably things are going to be slower to germinate, slower to crack on, slower to emerge and slower thanks to those falling soil temperatures temperatures they will do now once again but then again this is why we call it the full spring so I mentioned how dry a start this has been for 2023 and if you remember 2019 when it was similarly dry it was 36 millimeters or rain or so in January and February then we took 49 millimeters of rain through the first 16 days of March so things will change at some point that rain will come just a matter of when and how much we get when it does that's why we all love this job though isn't it? Just like Forrest Gump said, life's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. So on a positive, plenty of spring drilling already done. Winter cereals starting to move after that bit of sunshine and the warming soils we've just seen. Clearly, soils beginning to release a bit of their nitrogen because these hitherto pale or insipid looking green crops have definitely started to green up in the last seven days. Some good looking pieces of wheat and barley out there. Plenty of sectoria, plenty of yellow rust as you walk about as well. So planning the fungicide programs now well underway. Far too soon to start thinking about putting them on but knowing what you've got and where you've got it is a sensible approach to the job at the moment. Some varieties of course which have eight or nine scores for yellow rust are already showing reasonably high levels of that disease but don't panic about that it's seedling version of yellow rust and these varieties should come into their own as the season progresses bits and bobs of black grass still being tidied up in cereals remember you can't put herbicides like clopyrrolid or picloram onto oilseed rape before march so just hold your fire on the oilseed rape and with the warmer start of the week we could start to see the light leaf spot beginning to wake up too in oilseed rape and considering a lot of these crops didn't get a fungicide last autumn thanks in part to the foam and not coming in until very late in the season that light leaf spot is going to need careful management this spring so speak to your advisor 
and mix fungicides with herbicides where you need to and where the product choice allows you to do so. Staying with all seed rape then, the levels of cabbage stem flea beetle larvae in some of these fields appears to be far worse than many of us originally thought. Plenty to be found in the leaf stems and plenty of leaf loss over the winter as a result of both cabbage stem flea beetle and also the hard frost we saw through the early part of December and into January. But we are now starting to see the movement of those cabbage stem flea beetle larvae into the heart of the all-seed rape, into that main stem. And I've said many times before, once they get into that main racine, if it's cooling down and the crop isn't growing away fast enough, that's when we start to see the damage over these next few weeks. We start to see crop losses from that of hitherto good-looking crops, hopefully not on the scale that we saw in 2020, but who knows? So check these crops very, very carefully and assume absolutely nothing. Crops that went in earlier in the season, they will have been exposed to three or four or even more generations of adult beetles and therefore higher numbers of eggs. Bigger may not always mean better then when it comes to the size of the canopy of the oilseed ray. The later drillings have far fewer larvae, but the plants are less able to dilute the effect because they're nowhere near as big. So it could be an interesting few weeks coming up when it comes to cabbage stem flea beetle and indeed rate winter stem weevil larvae too. So know what you're dealing with. As a rule of thumb, if this weather this last week and any applied nitrogen hasn't really started to shift your oilseed rate, you might just want to go out and have a bit of a poke about and a look. And the pigeons are only going to make it worse, so keep them out of these crops too. So a dry old lot, plenty still to do over the next few weeks, plenty of time for winter to hit us yet. It will come wet at some point too. It's just a matter of when that happens. So assume absolutely nothing and you won't be disappointed. So let's see what the next seven days bring. Thanks as ever, Sean. Back same time next week. The Farming Programme with our equipped steel stockholders with Umbrook Industrial Estate Grantham, supplying the region for over 40 years. The Low Carbon Agriculture Show was back at Stoneley a couple of weeks ago. Plenty of new eco-friendly tech and ideas to be viewed and learnt about. like a couple of electric tractors. That's one from JCB. And I asked sales manager Joe Hilton, where are we with electric vehicles on farm? The electric market is changing at the moment, especially with the net zero targets that are being set out by a lot of the large supermarkets now. And that is starting to be pushed down the supply chain with some supermarkets set in targets of 2035 for farms to be net zero through their supply base in the UK. Obviously, there are limits as to how big a vehicle can be to run effectively on electric. What we've got here are a couple of what I would call compact vehicles. So what have we got here? So here we've got our all-electric teletruck, which is our industrial forklift. And we've also got our compact telescopic handler as well. We start on the teletruck. This has got a lead-acid battery in it. And the big thing with this is lead-acid is the norm within the forklift industry. And with this, it allows us the opportunity to have a, large, to have a much smaller counterweight on the machine. So the batteries weigh about one and a half tonnes because they're lead-acid. 80 volt electric system, 660 amp hour, which is about 50 kilowatts roughly in the more traditional way of looking at battery sizing. Okay, and the telehandler over there? And the telehandler has a 24 kilowatt hour lithium ion battery. It's got a maximum lift capacity of two and a half tons and a maximum lift height of six meters. Now clearly the benefit to going electric with this kind of vehicle is zero emissions. I suppose the counter to that has got to be the cost. Yeah, but it also allows the opportunity for people to 
save money as well, especially as I'm sure a lot of your farmers have seen recently that fuel prices going up and up and up over the last 12 months. I know farmers are very lucky still to have red diesel, so that helps, but fuel, but electric, especially on commercial rates, is much cheaper. So there is the option to save. Obviously, the more you use it, the more you save in the nicest possible way. So there's an option there to save money on running the machine and then obviously the service and maintenance as well, obviously. Um, an engine has a lot of moving parts, whereas most of the batteries are either maintenance-free or almost maintenance-free. Okay, but the actual cost of the vehicle itself, that's going to be more than a yeah. conventional diesel? Yes, dependent by product depends on the way up. It can be up to double. There's more info at jcb.com. Farm Track were showing a new compact tractor at the show too. Sales manager for the North, Andy Hayhurst, tells us about a strikingly bright blue member of the FT22 series. It's the conventional back end of a diesel machine, and then it's a state-of-the-art battery pack and motor system married to it. And this is a compact tractor. What kind of range, capacity, etc.? Compact tractor, it's 25 horsepower, goes out there, will do the job that most of the plant boys are wanting to do, so glass houses, quite a few looking now to go into the strawberry farms as well up in Scotland because they're all in polytunnels. Ideally in there, you've no fumes, so it's not damaging the crops. On an average day, you'll get eight hours. Depends on what you're doing, but eight hours work and then charge overnight. OK, and charging conventionally, conventional plug-in, do you need special equipment? No, it's, it's charging from a conventional three-pin plug. OK. So it's all designed, you can just, anywhere you can plug in, you can charge the tractor. Got to ask you the $64,000 question, how much? As it stands, 24000 for the one you see in front of you. And how would that compare to, if you like, a conventional compact tractor? Same model in the diesel form, you're looking at just about half. So, yes, more money, but the servicing costs are reduced, your fuel costs are reduced, emissions have gone, so it's the way forward. You can find out more information on resyncagriculture.co.uk. And Andy tells me there's a 70-horsepower electric tractor from FarmTrack in the pipeline. Sticking with electric vehicles, but this time a diversification opportunity from Osprey Charging. I spoke to Jake Goldby at the show. So with Osprey Charging, what we're looking to, to bring to the table here is the opportunity for landowners, landlords to host rapid charging on their sites. And by doing that, it brings with it the, the opportunity to, to gain a new rental income. So additional revenue stream for landlords alike. And this is charging for any vehicle or farming vehicles or what are we talking about? Yep, so all the Osprey chargers can charge any and all electric vehicles. So that's everything from your agricultural vehicles uh, all the way through to your you know, your, your day-to-day user vehicles. There's an absolute necessity to have more charging infrastructure across the UK. The more chargers we can get in the ground, the more robust the network becomes and therefore it gives that level of assurance to the end user. What about cost? What are we talking about for installing these things? Yeah, so the, the cost is entirely assumed by Osprey in this instance. So when Osprey come onto the site, like, like many of the leading CPOs, it's a full turnkey solution, but it's a fully funded solution along with it so 100% of the capital and 100% of the operating costs associated to to the charging infrastructure that we install are all met by Osprey so the only um, sort of transactional rate I suppose between ourselves and the estate owner the landowner would be the rental income that we pay them. Now does a farmer or a landowner need to be in a, a certain place near a main road you know where there's passing vehicles this kind of thing or could it be anywhere? Yeah, it's a valid question. So, so there are some parameters in which we look at, um, the main one being traffic count, proximity to major trunk roads, but also there are amenity places. So for example, if you have an amenity dense area, farm shop being one of them, uh, we'd absolutely love to have the conversation. 
Interested? Visit ospreycharging.co.uk. And there's one more new idea to come from the Low Carbon Ag Show concerning DEFRA data next week. To the markets now, starting with livestock from Louth. Good morning, auctioneer Oliver Chapman. Morning, Steve. Another weekly roundup from here at Louth. Started with a prime cattle, which the heifers sell to 278 pence per kilo for CA Mottram and Sons, and top at £1,842 for GS Paul. Steers top at 267 pence per kilo for JC Scolia Bormba, or £1,745 for GS Paul of Burley Marsh, while prime bulls top at 274 pence per kilo, or £1,558 for CA Mottram and Sons. On to the cool cows, with the same top as last week for RE Niedermanson of Gately Wold at 191 pence per kilo, or £1,514. Store cattle week this week, and a dearer trade across the board for all goods. See heifers all in average £1,210, with steers all in averaging £1,096. Heifers top at £1,500 for WH Jakes and Sons of Adelthorpe, while the steers top at £1,350 for CHJ Wade and Son. That wraps the cattle up, moving on to the sheep. 468 Hogs SQQ at 240.78 pence per kilo, making us one of the dearer markets this week, with an all-in average of 228.44 pence per kilo. Top goes to C Norwood at £130 per head, or 278 pence per kilo for MA and IJ Brumby. Finally, on to the cool use, very similar number forward and a very similar trade with an all-in average of £111.07 to top for JM Robinson & Son Limited at £175 per head. Huge thank you to everyone that's been in support this week. Tomorrow, Monday the 27th of February, we've got the complete flock dispersal on behalf of W Walker & Son consisting of 70 Texel Cross and Charolais Cross scanned in lamb ewes due to the Charolais or the Beltex Charolais ram from the second week of April, a sale not to be missed. So for all inquiries, whether it be about marketing your livestock or coming to buy, please do not hesitate to contact me. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Louth Market, and thank you. Thanks, Oliver. And with a look at the grain markets and prices, Open Fields Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Good morning, Steve. With a lack of fresh fundamental news this week, up front and centre was the extension of the Grain Corridor, with Ukraine requesting a one-year extension, although to date there have been no official meetings announced. This would seem to imply that the Ukraine expects the war to continue. Recent utterances by Russia that an extension would be inappropriate unless sanctions are lifted will appear hollow if it is extended without concessions. Russian wheat exports have slowed during February due to bad weather with the most recent update of 1.9 million metric tonnes, which is well below their recent pace and makes this week's Russian ag estimate, 39.5 million, look more realistic than some other analysts of 44 million were expected. Nevertheless, Russian wheat remains the cheapest origin, capturing this week's Egyptian tender for April shipment, buying 240,000 tonnes and picking off the cheapest offers with other Russian cargoes offered at $4-$5 dollars higher. Romanian and Bulgarian wheat is also offered, but only one French cargo of $24 above the successful Russian offers. French exports to non-EU countries are estimated at 86% of the target for the four months of the season left. Weather issues in South America continue, including too much rain or no rain and a sprinkle of early frost in this case. Argentina's wheat, soybean and maize are also suffering large reductions. Europe is too dry and North America and the Middle East, Pakistan and India are all the same. Even Russia is predicting a sub-80 million metric ton wheat crop due to the winter kill. Mother Nature will do what she does but there is little room for any major crop failures. 
So looking at barley this week, old crop malting barley is really detached from the general market, so it is not following the movements in wheat futures. There is no demand as maltsters are covered up to new crop and brewers covered now into the first quarter of 2024. Australia is hoping that its long-term dispute with China will be resolved soon so they can resume exporting to their closest market. They used to supply 70% of the Chinese barley imports, but nothing has been sold there since 2022. French plantings are well ahead. In the UK, progress has been steady, but in some areas the ground is still too cold for drilling. Oilseed rape. Domestic rapeseed prices have been supported by strength in the Matif rapeseed and good crush demand. Last Friday, Matif jumped into the five-week high on positioning along with the support from Argentina soybean crop concerns. Rapeseed has seen some pressure since as the Matif turned lower on Monday and the pounds bounce on Tuesday also weighed on prices. Soybeans made their highest intraday close since early June on Tuesday as concerns over crop losses in drought hit Argentina and weighed on the market. The South American crop consultant, Dr Michael Cordonia, has lowered his soybean estimate by another 2 million metric tonnes to 34 million, which is well below the USDA forecast of 41 million and much lower than the 51 million that was anticipated at the beginning of the season. So looking at prices this week, wheat for April 218 to 226, May 219 to 227, August off the combine 213 to 223, November 218 to 228. Milling wheat premiums are currently 60 to 65 pounds. Barley for April 195 to 205, May 196 to 206, August off the combine 190 to 198, November 200 to 208. For specific malting barley premiums, please speak to your open field farm business manager. And lastly, all seed rope for March 440 to 450, May 447 to 457, off the combine August 444 to 454, and November 449. To 459. Thanks, Kit. The Farming Programme. Five day forecast. A calmer, settled week under high pressure. Winds mainly from the northeast and in single figures. Daytime temperatures 7 to 9 Celsius. And with cloudier skies, a bit of light drizzles possible most days. Finally, quick congratulations to Lincolnshire farmer Colin Chapel, whom you may remember won the Rawcliffe Bridge Sustainability Award. He's now gone on to win the Protein Crop Grower of the Year Award at the recent National Arable and Grassland Awards. Well done, Colin. I'm with Tractors in Schools this week and we'll talk DEFRA data next Sunday. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a great week. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Umbrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.